there one other story of a veteran I've met, Philip Thomas, who was in the 80 Infantry Division, and he's talking about the V-Mail, and he's talking about when those guys received their letters in combat, and he got very emotional. He remember two of his guys having news from home, smiling, and he's talking about the fact that some of them sometimes receive Dear John letters, and he was telling how people would react when they receive bad news. So this is for a podcast that I have called Veteran Voices, the Oral History Podcast. Mm-hmm. It's dedicated to those who tell veteran stories, such as yourself. Okay. Right. We, we talk a lot about veteran stories themselves, but I like to talk with those who capture, preserve, share veteran stories. And we talk about that process and why we do it and you know how it unfolds. And I always like to ask for advice for other people who want to record their stories, but they just don't have a motivation. They don't know where to begin. Like for example, a friend of mine always says, the most important bit of advice I can give anybody is to set a date and then work backwards from there. But if you never set a date to record your grandfather, your grandmother, or anybody, you always put it off. Yes. But you you say, Grandpa, on March 21st, we're going to record your story, okay? Yeah. And then you organize that to happen. Couldn't agree more because I think when you just you see how like how important it is for the veteran, you know, to talk about his service, and just seeing him be happy that someone care about his story. My name in French is Florent, you know, but uh, here we say Florent, but a T at the end. But people call me Flo. Plana, P-L-A-N-A, Plana. And your project is? The World War II Veterans Memories Project. I started like with a light that I bought at Walmart for $30, and I would put paper on it. You know, I started with the idea to doing that. I have no knowledge in photography, video. I had no nothing. I didn't do any like journalism. I didn't go to school to learn that. So when I came here in America, I just saved money to buy a so 700. And after a while, I just tried to save money and buy like audio recorder, professional lights, reflectors. The quality of my videos are good enough professionally. It's not perfect, but I think it's pretty good. Welcome, Flo, to Veteran Voices, the Oral History Podcast. Man, you are a big hit here in Penn Hills, where we had a breakfast this morning, a Veterans Breakfast Club event, live storytelling. You came to uh, share your project with those here today, veterans, and your project is amazing. You're not from here, you're from mm-hmm. France, and you are traveling around the country talking with World War II veterans. And well, you know what? I'm going to let you explain all this, but welcome to the podcast and thanks for sitting down with us here. It's a great honor for me to be here and I was very happy to be here this morning with all those veterans and had the chance to talk with a few of them who served in France. So it was uh, very special for me to be here. So thank you very much. Yeah, you were a big hit. I saw a lot of people coming up to you, talking with you, shaking your hand. Yeah, it was awesome. And I wish I could have the time to talk to everybody because there were a lot of World War II vets. I talked to a few of them, so I was happy. And I'm going to record maybe some of them if I I can. Like, you know, I took their phone number and 
and address, so we'll try to see if I can record some of them. But so my name is Florent Plana. People call me Flo here, like um, the progressive insurance. <laughs> but uh, so I started my project about two years ago, right after I finished my master degree. A lot of my friends wanted to take a gap year, you know, going to Australia, having fun, traveling. And I was like, I think that I'm going to use a gap year to do something more important. That's something that I really care about. So as I told you this morning, my grandpa was in the German labor camp, working camp during World War II. And um, for two years, he was forced to work for the Germans. So... He lost his freedom, the freedom to travel, the freedom to do what he was doing, like being a farmer in Normandy. And he lost also the freedom to love because he was already dating my my grandma, Madeleine. And uh, for two years, he was not able to love her, to see her. So when he was freed in May of 1945 by our allies' troops, American and British, Canadians, he came back to my grandma and marry her and my uncle was born later and my mom so it's because of those guys that i'm here today so i would say that they're two important points this is thanks to them that i'm here but it's also thanks to them that my country is free and i mean it i just wanted to take the time to thank them for what they did and record their stories so my family come from Normandy and every year in June we've got big events. We've got the D-Day ceremony. There are many, many World War II veterans who came the last 20 years. I would say that since 1994, after the 50th anniversary, once they saw that all the French just didn't forget what they have done like 50 years before, more and more veterans came back to Normandy. So I started to go there when I was about... 17 or 18 because you know I was working I was at school uh, in June for the ceremony but I wanted to go there so when I was 16 or 17 I started really like to take some days like you know I was not going to school for a few days and I was going to Normandy like on the beach to talk with the veterans to thank them and to take a picture because this is the only thing I could do my English was poor and everybody wanted to shake their hands so I was like I have in front of me a walking history book because of what it did for my country and because of what it saw during World War II. But I don't have the time and I don't have like the English to talk with them and to know more about them. I was very frustrated because I could see on many like forum, you know, on internet that we're very sad to report that Second Rangers Battalion uh, veteran, and they were telling the name, passed away, uh, had his home, you know, and I was like checking the name online and I was like, there's nothing about him. Nothing. That guy is a hero. He's in one of the most famous units of World War II, and there's nothing. So what about the others? All those guys who, who crossed France, fought in Europe, Italy, North Africa. We're going to lose a lot of stories that linked our two nations, but also the freedom that we get today. That's why I just wanted to take that gap here, take the time to thank the veteran, and to record them. Because as I told you, we were losing so many stories and I think that recording them is very important to share their stories to the next generation. And one of the things, maybe because I'm young, but I grew up with a, you know, a TV, a computer. I had a cell phone when I was 14. Now everybody's connected on screens. The visual aspect now is important. When you wanna like share an information, 
if the video is well done, if the audio is good, if the quality of the video is good, people are going to take the time to maybe watch the video. When you just audio recording a veteran, it's more difficult. When you write a story, I would say that it's even more difficult. If you don't have any picture, any face, it's hard to connect with the veterans. Oh, it's a human being, and this is his stories. So I could tell you all those stories I've heard, but the best thing to do is to share those videos. And this is what I try to do, connect the younger generation with those veterans, because there are a lot of people, unfortunately, who don't know anything about World War II, and they don't know anything about those guys went through for their freedom. And I think it's important because when you know more about your history, you can build a better future. You, so you came here to the United States. You started to record mm -hmm. stories. Did you record any stories in France? So the, the village of my grandparents, you know, my grandpa was in Germany for two years in that labor camp. And my grandma so was still in that village. In 1944, uh, in August 1944, when um, uh, SS unit just killed 18 civilians and burned 50 houses. This is Tourouvre in Normandy. So they just killed many guys who didn't do anything and they destroyed the city. And before I came to America, I started to record French civilians who were there at the time because I knew that they would be the last witnesses of that tragic day. So I recorded a few of them. And at that time, I didn't know anything about, you know, video. So I just took my camera, I put my camera on and just asked questions. Wow. You just jumped right in. Yeah. And you're doing the same thing now. I mean, here, you're obviously you have more experience. Yeah. But you are just going out and you're finding the veterans as you travel across the states. Tell us, how do you, how do you find veterans? I'm, I'm very happy that American veterans wear hat. Iwo Jima Survivor, Battle of the Bulge. 9 Infantry Division, and with my research, I tried to know like all the main units who fought in the Pacific and in Europe during World War II. So the connection is very easy. I mean, Walmart, I can see someone with the 2nd Infantry Division Indian head patch on his head. Hey, sir, did you serve in the 2nd Infantry Division? Oh, yeah, Indian head. Oh, yeah, they served in Normandy, and I'm from Normandy. Oh, really? I was there in 44, and this is how it started. Can I come to your house to know more about you? This is what I'm doing. The connection is very easy with the hat. I mean, it helps a lot. Sure. Like, sure. you know, like the veteran this morning from the Android Force Infantry Division, 36, those units cross France. So when I see those pets, it's very easy because I know their units. But there are a lot of people who put me in touch. You know, is there my camper? And on it... I wrote, do you know World War II veteran? And they're painting of a veteran with like old picture that he's holding. And people sometimes just contact me. Hey, my grandpa served during World War II, even on Walmart parking lot or anytime. There are people say, oh, I have someone who served during World War II. Would you be interested to talk to him? And what is interesting, it's sometimes because of that connection that we create in the grocery store or just the daughter of a veteran who saw my camper. I'm recording veterans who never really share anything about it, who never been recorded. I would tell, I would call them like the unknown soldiers. They never been to any reunions, never been back to Europe. They don't wear a hat, but it's just someone who put me in touch with them because they saw my camper or saw my Facebook page. And 
those stories are great because when they open up, it's fresh. I mean, it's their story. It's not nothing that they heard. They're just telling their story from A to Z, you know. it's. Well, let's talk about some of those stories. What are some that have really touched you and moved you? There are so many, so many. There are so many who, who just touched me because of the context of the meeting and some of them because of the stories. But I told you about a veteran that I've met last um, last week who served in the 87 Infantry Division, and he has health issues, so he's got his two legs off now, and he's very weak, but his mind is here. And when we start to talk about it, he just cried because he was so happy that a French guy that he didn't know just show up. Hey, sir, I'm from France. Thanks for your service and thanks for my freedom. And he was so happy, he just cried because he just realized that there were people who were caring about his stories. And all his stories are very like moving because he saw a lot of combats. And um, he told me about a lot of his friends who were killed. But I've got so many stories. But I definitely want to hear the stories. But I want to say to those listening yep. that they can go to your website and your Facebook page mm-hmm. and hear and watch the, the stories that you've been collecting. So why don't you just tell us uh, wh- what your website is oh, right now? Okay, sure. That's yeah, I'm very active on Facebook. It's just, you know, I'm traveling all the time. Hard to get a Wi-Fi connection. So when I can, I just go on Facebook, publish some pictures videos, information. So my Facebook is World War II Veterans Memories. I'm, I'm very active on that. And also Instagram, WW2 Vets Memories. Yeah, Veterans Memories. Okay, good. I'm sure people will come and check that out yeah. for sure. So I, I try to take good pictures of those World War II Veterans. So I've got nice pictures and videos on that. Yeah. Great. So back to the stories that yeah. really moved you. So about a year ago, I was in New York State. There's someone who contacted me on my Facebook page because, you know, I'm sharing a lot of stories so people can find me on Facebook. There are people who share my articles. They're going to say, oh, World War II veterans memories. Let's contact that guy to see if he can talk to my grandpa or my father. So anyway, that guy contacted me to tell me, hey, my grandpa served in the Second Rangers Battalion. You know, the famous Second Rangers Battalion who climbed Pont du Hoc in Normandy on D-Day. And um, he never really talked about it. He didn't land on D-Day, but he was assigned to E Company three days after the invasion because he lost so many guys that he sent many replacements. So he's a Rangers from a famous unit, never talked about it. So I was like, oh, I'm going to go there, but I don't know if he's he going to share, if he's going to open up. And it's very... It's very difficult to visit someone to expect him to talk about his stories if he don't want. I don't want to force people to tell their stories. So his brother served in the 78th Infantry Division and um, during the Yorkton Forest Battle, the 2nd Rancher's Battalion fought on Hill 400 and his company was there and not very far the 78th Infantry Division was. Albert Engel and his brother, who served in the 78, finally found a way to connect. So after like so many months of training, of combats, he is in the middle of the fight and he can connect with his father because he's fighting very close by. It's a beautiful time for them. It's like we're in a country we don't know anything about. We're fighting for those guys who speak another language, but I'm here with my brother. It's like I'm home for a few minutes. 
So after what, both of them went back to their outfit, and um, unfortunately, his brother was killed in action near the Remagen Bridge in March of 45. When he found out about that, Albert Engel was very angry. He was thinking like, you know what, I won't take any more prisoners, any Germans, I'm going to kill them all. And I asked him, did you do that? Say no, because I knew that I could for forgive the Germans for having killed my brother, but I couldn't forgive myself to have killed so many guys. Wow. So, so I, I thought it was very interesting. And it's the first time he's recording. Never talked too much about it. Five minutes, after what, stop. I don't want to talk about it. The war is behind. The war is over. So it's the first time that we sit and we just talk about it. And he's like sometimes just reconnected. Flo, why am I telling that stories? And I'm like, you know, it's because of you and your fights that I'm free today. It's important to know more about you because it's thanks to you that I'm here. And after what he was starting to talk more, and f maybe three or four times during the interview, he just stopped and said, why am, am I telling your stories? But finally, you know, after the interview, he went to his room to take some pictures. And he showed me the picture of his brother and him before they went overseas. They were happy, smiling. You know, most of the veterans I've talked with, they were like, it, it, it was like a kind of an adventure. We were 18. We were training in another state. And it's, it's the first time that we could be, you know, in another state, that we would be on the boat, that we would go overseas. It was quite an adventure. So on that picture, you can see smiling, being happy. And when you see that picture, I, you know, you're just so sad to know the end. You know, Greg fought with one of the most famous units of World War II, Second Rangers Battalion, and uh, seen a lot of combats. And, you know, it changed the life of a man being in the army in combats, losing a brother. So I just think about that picture when they're smiling and what happened next is very tragic. So, you know, I've recorded 245 veterans. It's just one. There's so many moving stories, so many stories that I would like to tell, but we have no time for that. It would take hours and hours. Well, I encourage everybody who's listening to go to your website, go to your Facebook page, and follow you mm -hmm. and really just watch your progress as you travel across the country and you just meet veteran after veteran and you will continue to do that. I mean, yeah. we are losing many, many every day. Unfortunately. But yeah. there's, there are still so many who are around and who haven't told their stories in many, many, many years, don't see the value in it until you show up on their doorstep and you say, hey, you tell me your story. And that's what really fascinates me about your project is that, you know, you are going out reaching people mm -hmm. yeah. and asking them for their story in a way that a lot of oral history projects don't do. I mean, often it's, we'll find veterans and bring them to us, but you're going out there. You're Oh, yeah, because I like to go to the house because they've got many pictures. And, you know, just to being home after a nice lunch, they are so comfortable that, I don't know, I've seen sometimes that, you know, some of the guys told me, oh, we should meet in that restaurant. I was r trying to find a quiet room, but it's not very personal. It's, uh, it's for me, I call that it's empty of, you know, emotion. When they're in their comfortable chair with their, like, family picture on the left, with their like, glass of, maybe, I don't know, glass of milk on the right, you know, they're like, I'm home. I, yeah. 
I'm ready to talk about it. And so sometimes I've recorded veterans for three, four hours. My longest interview is eight hours. Well, eight hours. Mm -hmm. Holy cow. So just taking the time to also take the pictures. I scan the pictures, any information, because it's precious. And um, I just wanted to say something. Maybe you're going to think that it's weird. Last June, I was with six veterans. We helped with the Veterans Back to Normandy Foundation, six veterans to go back to Normandy was the first time for all of them. And we met by chance of German veterans. I say by chance because there are not a lot of German veterans who show up to, you know, the events, especially when everybody is reenacting British and Americans, bring back a lot of memories. So we met a German veteran who was on Omaha Beach on D-Day. It was the first time that he was coming back. And um, I was with two of my friend, Henry Poisson and Erwin Davis, who fought, you know, in the United States Army. And we saw something very special. We saw, like, two enemies becoming friends. We had a translator because the German couldn't speak English. So we were five, two American veterans, the German veterans, and the translator and I. And we were just listening to the stories. And when the German was telling his stories, I was like, it's, it, it looks like an, Amer- like an interview, that I, like the stories of an American soldier. He ended up, you know, in the Hitler use. He was like kind of drafted, no choice. 17 years old, he's on Omabits shooting at the Americans. And on the other side, I've recorded veterans who were 17 or 18 landing on Omabits. And I just realized that it would be also maybe important to have the stories of the soldiers who were the enemies how we became like enemies and how the human being can one day kill another one that they don't know anything about. How an American soldier can kill a German. How a German can kill an American. And I think that listening to the stories also of the German soldiers can maybe help us to just try to understand how quick a war can just start. And that, how can I say that? It's in English, so it's difficult because it's very deep, but it could happen again to you to me, to everybody. We have to protect what we've got, what those guys fought for. Knowing how, like, Germany start the fight, start to believe in different things that are totally, I think, wrong. How all those young people were fighting all over the places for lost cause. I mean, now I want to ask to those German veterans what they did as well. I want to understand more about those guys too. Because I, I'm just very thankful and I will like be thankful for my life to the you know, the Allied nation, but why those guys fought for, you know, the Germans, I don't know. I want to ask that. What an amazing project that would be. I've got my first German veteran lineup. You're already moving on that. Yep. January, at the end of January, and maybe a second one. I was on the phone with one guy from Netherlands today, and you know a guy who fought during the Battle of the Bulge? against guy that I've recorded wow. from the 99 Infantry Division. So now I want to know the other side. I won't record as many veterans. It's just I want to have an idea of who are those guys. Yeah, you know, when you get into those stories, you can sort of extrapolate that they tend to represent everybody. Yeah. You know, you know, you interview an American who was afraid in a foxhole and young, mm-hmm. scared. Well, you know, you can just imagine that a young German yeah. who was yeah. afraid and you know, scared in a foxhole too. I don't care too much about the SS, to be honest. I just want to um, try to record like regular army guys who were drafted, 
We didn't fight for the Nazi, but they have to fight for their country. Big difference. Right. I, I don't want to talk with fanatic because this is the guys who like burned the the village of my grandparents. This is the guys who like forced my grandpa to go in that camp. But I want to talk to the 17, 18, 19 years old guy who ended up in the German army fighting for, you know, a lost cause. And we like suffered the same thing like during the Battle of the Bulls, as you said. They were afraid. They were scared to death. Was snowing, you know, frozen feet. Same same thing. So I want to know their stories as well. But regular army guys. So you're going from Pittsburgh here. You're going to Columbus mm-hmm. and then Akron and then Erie. Exactly. And when do you see yourself leaving the states? January the sixth. January the sixth. Yeah, because I have to go back to France to work on different things. First, you know, to save money for maybe coming back next winter. But I'm working on the creation of a museum in Normandy near Pont du Hoc. We already signed a sale agreement for the barn. It's a beautiful barn from the 1800. So the goal is the creation of that museum because there's so many guys, you know, who visit Normandy every year, millions and millions. We, I'm not kidding. Like last year, there were like two million visitors at the Omaha Beach Cemetery, you know, Normandy American Cemetery. I want to connect those people with like the veterans because, you know, we're losing a lot of veterans every day. And in that museum, I want to share the story of the people I can record. You know, they won't be able to talk to any veterans anymore, you know, in 10 years, but they will be able to listen to the stories of those men. So an oral history museum. Exactly. But I've got a lot of artifacts, you know, I, I found on the battlefield of France and also in the antique shop here in America, a lot of stuff that, you know, the family don't want to keep. Oh, wow. So I'm going to also link artifacts to personal stories, like a steel helmet. So everybody know what is a steel helmet, but when you talk with those guys, you can see that it was used for so many things, to shave, sometimes just... It was their pillow or, you know, when they were in the foxhole and they were the artillery shell, it would be their bathroom. So I'm going to put a helmet, typical helmet from World War II, American helmet, with a screen right right next of that helmet with the stories of the veterans talking about what the helmet was used for, you know, for them. So you, you connect like artifacts with personal stories. You've got a human wear that helmet you've got like people who were 20 years old and they were like fighting with that helmet it's not just a a piece of history it's like it's the part of the story of a man you know i don't know if i'm clear about that but yeah absolutely so i've got a lot of artifacts a lot of videos and i hope it's gonna work i mean we we already signed the sale agreement we're now, now working on it maybe we're gonna open in early 2018 and can i just ask something because you were talking about something very important. I was on the phone with three of my friends yesterday. We had a phone call very late because they're coming from California. And we were like, there are so many guys who care about World War II, who know about history, but they don't know how to like record veterans. They don't dare. They, I mean, they, don't, they just don't do it. And they, they think that one day they're going to have the time to do it, but they don't do it. And we try to help people just to start to do it. So, like, for example, young fellow who are, like, in touch with veterans or who care about World War II, we just try to tell them to go to nursing home or to go to, like, you know, a World War II roundtable, introduce themselves. 
and say, okay, I would like to record World War II veterans because we have got only a few years left. So we want to help them to know what type of equipments, how to prepare their questions, how just to prepare the interview to make them comfortable and to have a good time with the veterans. So I think that through your project, this is what you're doing. You're like helping people to just to do it, to just start it, to record one veteran and continue to serve as many stories as they can. And I think it's fascinating. And I really hope we're going to be able to connect a lot of people with veterans and let them like take the time to record their stories. Well, you will. And, you know, we're all in this together. And a lot of us are trying to figure out the best way to do this, given our situations, what gear works, what mm -hmm. doesn't work. And and we share, you know, and that's the wonderful thing about social media and our websites is that we can we can talk and we can ask each other questions and, um, you know, we can just make it happen. I always like to talk about the process of doing oral history. In fact, on our websites, when every veteran has their page on there, there's a tab about the interview, and there are photographs of the set with the lights and the cameras, mm -hmm. and you know it, it looks like sausage making, and it's messy, and there are cords everywhere, and I like to describe the day it was and those sorts of things to send a message that this just doesn't happen. We have to make this happen. You know, we have to get the camera, and we have to get the sound, and we have to learn how to do this. You know, this isn't my first career. I was an educator, uh, so, you know, I learned this as I, I went along uh, a number of years ago. But we have to make it happen. And I want to thank you for being on the podcast and sharing your experiences. Well, thank you very much. It's quite an honor. I think we're part of a big team who care about World War II, about history, and who those guys are, you know. We are the same team, like recording as many men as we can because it's precious stories. And unfortunately, in a few years, it won't be possible anymore. The estimate is by 2036, there will be no more World War II veterans alive on the planet. We've already turned that corner of World War One into 2010. Yep. So 2036, you figure someone would be about uh, maybe 108 years old or yeah, something. exactly. But that time will be here before we know it. Oh, yeah, because honestly... From one area, if you want to record veterans in one city, you've got like only four or five years left. That's for sure that in 10 years, we're going to have still a few World War II veterans, but maybe one in Pittsburgh, two in New York. I just mean that we won't have a, have a lot. And you know, when you're 100 or 105 years old, it can be difficult to talk about it. That's right. That's why we have to keep on doing what we're yeah, doing. As much, as many as we can right now, this is the time. I mean, we've got we have three, four, five years really to collect as many stories as we can and just hang out with them, make them happy, have a good time, and just record their stories. Well, thanks, Flo, for all that you do for veterans and for us who appreciate veterans and want to hear these stories for history's sake. All the best. We are big fans of your work, and let's stay in touch, okay? Okay, thank you very much, and uh, follow me on Facebook, and uh, if you want to send me a message or anything, you know, you're more than welcome to, to come to France, and uh, we hope we're going to see you again. I'm Kevin Farkas. Thank you for joining us, and remember, every veteran has a story to tell, and we are listening. See you next time on Veteran Voices, the Oral History Podcast.